This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello. Monica, do you like Film Geek Radio? I do like Film Geek Radio. I love it. Do you like shopping? Yes, when I have money. Well, then, Monica, you'll be glad to know that if you go to filmgeekradio.com and you go to our support section, we are now privileged to be partnered with several online retailers, including iTunes and Amazon. And if you have any last-minute Christmas shopping that you need to do, if you uh, navigate to Amazon through our website, we will receive a... small cut of whatever you purchase so some of that money will go to support film geek radio so you you, it's like support hungry critics yes you get to support the podcast you love while still purchasing the christmas gifts and the movies and everything else that you need to get anyway so it's actually a really cool deal it is. Sounds like such a good deal, Andrew. Why don't you tell them yes. more? <laughs> I just wanted to let our listeners know about that before we move on to part two of our episode on The Hobbit. This is episode number 30 of Cinema Fix, and this is part two of our conversation on The Hobbit. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, I'm sorry you had to listen to that blatant plug up front, but you should be aware that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've seen the movie or after you've heard part one. So if you don't want to be spoiled, Stop listening now. Go check out part one of our episode on The Hobbit, because we are going to get into spoiler territory this episode. But uh, before we start to really analyze the movie, here's another clip. What is it, precious? What is it? My name is Bilbo Baggins. Bagginses. What is that, Bagginses, precious? I'm a... Hobbit from the Shire. Oh, we like goblins as bats and fishes, but we haven't tried our races before. Is it soft? Is it juicy? No! No, keep, keep, keep your fists I'll use this if I have to. I don't want any trouble. You understand? Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Is it lost? Yes. Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. Oh, we lost. We lost safe paths for our sisters. Safe paths in the dark. Shut up. I didn't say anything. I wasn't talking to you. Okay, Monica, let's talk about The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. This is one of the most anticipated films of the past few years. I mean, the Lord of the Rings movies were huge hits. Everybody's been waiting for The Hobbit to come out. It's finally here. Peter Jackson directed it. Oh, man. This movie has some problems. Are there any problems you would like to talk about up front, or should I just start listing them all? I mean, 
I'll, I guess I'll get the ball rolling and just. Okay. You know, the way to start a story is not by name checking everybody that was in the movies that haven't technically happened yet. It's all told through flashback. <laughs> yeah. As we mentioned in part one, structurally, I think the movie really suffers because they're splitting it into three films. And it, it you can tell that Peter Jackson is just really straining to make these movies connect to the old ones, even though you don't need them to. No. <laughs> Not at all. It's totally unnecessary. Like, okay, I'm fine with the the opening, you know, 15-minute battle scene or whatever where it's getting into the history of the dwarves and, and it's... I'm actually... I'll actually take that because at least it, it, gave, it provided us with some context as to what was going on. Yes, I like that. And that's also how the Fellowship of the Ring opened as well with this big battle going into the history of how the rings were formed and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So and, and structurally, this movie is very similar to Fellowship of the Ring. So I was fine with that. And then they cut to the Shire, and they introduce us to Bilbo. Except it's not Bilbo, it's old Bilbo. It's Ian Holm from the Lord of the Rings films. And he is getting ready to write his... Memoir. His his memoirs, basically. He's going to write up the story of his journey. And I'm, I'm actually okay with that, because he did that in the old films. I'm, I'm fine if you want to reference that. Mm And then Frodo shows up. <laughs> and there's like four or five minutes with Frodo, Elijah Wood, from the Lord of the Rings. And I'm just sitting there going, why are you here? This has nothing to do with <laughs> Who anything. Who let you in? <laughs> yes, this is not your movie. I'm going to be so pissed if he shows up at the beginning of the second one. Hey, Bilbo, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> You're starting part two? <laughs> I haven't left yet. <laughs> <laughs> You forgot me, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I, that was the first scene that I, I, I saw that and I was trying to like, It was like, like oh, we're go- this is going to be a long Yeah, movie. it's like, why is this here? <laughs> this needed to be left on the cutting room floor. It shouldn't I, even sorry. have been filmed. Like, why? Is he not busy or something? Like, he shouldn't have been in New Zealand at all to film this. Yeah, that was a huge mistake. But then as the film moves on, there will be other references to the films and things that were invented and padded in yes and things that were added to this movie just to connect them so here's the thing lord of the rings it's one book one movie hobbit is one book three movies and it's a short book and it's the shortest book it's going to be the three movies someone messed up their math along the way and we're going to pay for it well, apparently he's also bringing in material from the Lord of the Rings appendices yeah. and and all this other stuff. So that's where they're getting all this extra material. But it just seems like they're working way too hard to make this feel like Lord of the Rings. I mean, at one point, Galadriel and Saruman show up yes. for no real reason. It's It's just so... Gandalf can have an extended conversation with them about how there's uh, the evil rising, and of course, that's going to turn out to be Sauron and, and lead into Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I was going to say, my friend called that scene the High Council of Exposition. Yes, it was a lot of exposition. And he, I, here's what I think the purpose is there's a character named Radagast yep. in this movie. Radagast the Brown, who's another wizard, he lives in in the woods, and he's kind of this hippie dude who likes to talk to animals, 
and basically there's an, some sort of evil encroaching on the on the forest and starting to infect everything and when this movie was over i was sitting back and i was and i was realizing you know what you could have cut radagast from this movie entirely and it would it would not have mattered yep for the purposes of this film it would not have mattered at all mhm there's this action scene in which there's some giant spiders that make an appearance there's a scene in which he helps Gandalf and Bilbo and the dwarves escape some orcs by acting as a distraction. You could have cut all that out, and it would not matter. Except for one scene, one brief little moment, in which he tells Gandalf that he he apparently went to some ruined city and felt like there was some sort of dark presence there, some sort of necromancer. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather, the necromancer is mentioned in The Hobbit. Yeah. In passing. In passing. In passing. Yes. Stress in passing. Yes. However, people that are absolutely gaga over Tolkien and have read all of Tolkien's work and know all about the Lord of the Rings universe know that the necromancer will actually become Sauron. Yeah. The Dark Lord and the Lord of the Rings. So... I have a feeling that even though that had n- absolutely nothing to do with the plot of this film, it may contribute something to films two and three. And the necromancer from I, if I had to, from what I've heard, Benedict Cumberbatch also plays the necromancer. He also plays a necromancer. Yes. We still don't see his face. God damn it. You just don't know how to cast that man. (laughs) I can't believe that we're going to finally have him as a good bad guy in Star Trek. I have to wait another year for this. I'm I'm guessing that in The Hobbit 2 and 3, the necromancer will actually play a larger role, even though that's not in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is fine, except it doesn't belong in this film. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with this movie. Ah, suspense, man. It's all about the suspense. And it's all fake, too, because there's the, the, like you don't understand why this is going to be so important. So it's like, again, what you were saying earlier in the first round, where it was like, well, what's the stakes here? What are we talking about? Right. Are we going to lose the world, or are we just going to you know lose a couple dwarves? And it, it's entirely possible that when... Peter Jackson finishes releasing all three of the Hobbit films, we will look back and go, oh, yeah, he had to sort of put the seeds of that storyline here in the first movie. Mm -hmm. And he had to to reference it, and that did turn out to be really important. But right now, it just feels completely superfluous to everything and, and totally unnecessary. Agreed. I mean, what what did you think of radagast the brown how i was kind of saying like this is more of like child's play in comparison to the actual lord of the rings so this this was like the quirky character he talks to animals and yeah he really didn't add anything to the to the movie as a whole for me he walks around with bird poop on his face the whole movie yeah i was wondering what that was i couldn't tell if that was like (laughs) supposed to be some sort of lichen or if it was actually bird poop no, he he has he's turned his hair into a nest. Ah, so birds live in his hair under his hat. Well, I was gonna say because you know how trees sometimes have the white and green of like 
moss. So it's some sort of right. thing that grows out of them. You can tell I really did well in biology. So that's what I figured. It's like, oh, he's actually like half, you know, woods himself. He's half int. He's half talking tree. He's half talking tree, which they already had talking trees in the Lord of the Rings. So right. not totally out of the ordinary. No, it's actually bird poop. Okay, well... He's got bird poop in his hair the whole movie. <laughs> uh, which, again, The Hobbit is a bit is a bit more lighthearted. It was a children's book. It's a bit more slapsticky. I didn't have a problem with that on the whole, except you're right. There's a lot less menace mm-hmm. in this movie than in The Lord of the Rings. And, I, and I'm not sure if it's because I, I was like 13 or 14 when Fellowship of the Ring came out. Yeah. I remember being genuinely freaked out. By some of the stuff in Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, the the Nazgul were just scary. Mm-hmm. Okay, to me. Heck, the first time the orcs come in, that was like really freaky. Because until that point, I had, you know, there's not many movie monsters that were that many all over the place. And they crawled around like ants. Because this was like maybe one of the first times CGI looked really good and lifelike. Right. So it was like, it was downright scary. Fellowship of the Ring is a dark film. You've got the Nazgul, you've got the Eye of Sauron just constantly staring over everything. Mm -hmm. People die. Gandalf supposedly dies. dies. You've got the great great death scene of Boromir at the end. And there's that that one leader of the Uruk-hai orcs that uh, kills Boromir who's, who's like this human orc hybrid or something and he's just really intimidating really creepy Mm -hmm. has this real screen presence i mean that movie is dark and there's a lot of memorable stuff about this movie and the hobbit and unexpected journey kind of felt like a much lighter imitation yeah of a lot of that instead of the leader of the uruk-hai you've got this white orc yes Named Azog the Defiler, who apparently was briefly mentioned in the books, but they've greatly changed and expanded his role mm-hmm. here in the film. You know, th- there's not really a main bad guy in this movie except for him. Plus, who doesn't love to hate an orc? Well, sure. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. Stru- structurally, again, I just feel like this movie is flawed because The Lord of the Rings, you had the Nazgul and you had Sauron and Sauron, and they were like the overarching enemies throughout all three films. Mm-hmm. And then in the first film, you had that leader, the Urukai guy. So he he was like the one imitating villain that could be killed off, mm-hmm. and there could be some sort of arc involving him. Yeah. But I don't know. Is this Azog white orc guy? Is he going to stick around for all three films? Hard to say, especially since he's basically an invented character. No, but what I was going to say is that so in the Lord of the Rings, there wasn't any sort of, I guess, justified anger. It's just that uh, the orcs and the Nazgul, they all hate the hobbit uh not because he did something to them but because he represents something and here he hates um the dwarf king because he humiliated him in battle and of course the dwarf king is getting revenge for the guy killing his father in front of him so right i don't know it didn't feel like such so much more of a sinister anger i was like yeah he's legit to be pissed (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> he's on he's on a mission to reclaim his manhood in the field of battle. Like that's more plausible than this is a great evil and they are just out to destroy everything. It seemed like much more of a personal beef. It did, and I, I did like that aspect of it. But you liked it, okay? I, I was kind of like it took a little way of a little bit away of the mystical aspects, I guess, of the the Lord of the Rings. Well, I liked that there was that personal vendetta there i was just kind of hoping that you know that would be resolved by the end of the film (laughs) no that's just hopeful i was hoping that i was was thinking to myself okay so this dude is kind of like the urukai guy in fellowship of the ring and he'll be killed at the end and then there will be some more powerful villains later on no that's not the case he actually survives i i mean so much of this movie it feels like fellowship of the ring it's just not you know it's like you've got thorin the the leader of the dwarves who's kind of like aragorn and that he's trying to find his rightful place yeah leader and he's kind of like this kingly noble figure Mm -hmm. i mean you've got bilbo and Gollum. well i was gonna say apparently legolas and aragorn are supposedly supposed to make cameos later on in the series i don't know i heard this from another critic friend of mine well i hope it works out better than proto's cameo i can't imagine because what aragorn has supposed to be how old he's supposed to be like not even born yet because he's a human king and like bilbo and the beginning of the Lord of the Rings is in, like, his later years. And this is him in his, you know, youth. Right. I can't remember how many years earlier The Hobbit takes place. I can't, yeah. But it is quite a bit. But, but yes, you brought up Legolas. Legolas was the cool archer guy in Lord of the Rings. And they've, they've got an archer as part of their dwarf group. Yeah. He's not nearly as memorable as Legolas, but he's there. <laughs> he's there. I don't know. It just felt like... There were so many parallels that just, they didn't have the same impact as they did this time around. The Fellowship of the Rings was comprised of, like, many different races in this town. So you had the humans, you had the elves, you had, I I believe there was also a dwarf in this company, and then you had the Hobbit. And here it's just, it's a bunch of dwarves. Right, plus Gandalf and Bilbo. Well, yeah, and Gandalf is in the other Fellowship as well. So there's not so many chances to stick out as there were in the other one. Yeah, the the dwarves don't really seem to have very distinct personalities. I felt like most of the time I couldn't tell who was who. Well, that's uh, so that's supposed to be part of like the joke is that Gandalf always has to count them out in order to make sure that everybody's here. Right. Which, you know, is cute maybe the first time he's doing it in Bilbo's house. It's not so cute when he's doing it running out of the goblin lair. And it's like, what, you seriously still don't know their names by now? Right. I I realized afterwards that James Nesbitt, fantastic British actor, is one of the dwarves. (laughs) But I I hadn't noticed, both because of the makeup and just because there's so little done to distinguish yeah. the dwarves from each other. But yeah, it, it all just felt very much like an imitation of Fellowship of the Ring. You know, you've got that whole sequence in the Misty Mountains where they're fighting the goblins, and that just feels like a direct reference to the Mines of Moria scene yeah. from Fellowship of the Ring. There's even a point at which Gandalf confronts the Goblin King on a bridge. Yep. Like he confronted the Balrog, but instead of making this really dramatic, you shall not pass... I noticed there's a severe lack of memes coming out of The Hobbit, which, you know, depresses me to no end. Right, he he just kills him, 
And while it's kind of a cool scene, nothing could ever measure up to the dramatic impact of that moment in Fellowship of the Ring. So it just, it just didn't really hit home. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I see what you're doing there. It's a, it's, it's a parallel. It's just not as good. Yep. Let me ask you this. It's been almost 10 years since Lord of the Rings came out. What did you think of the special effects in this movie? Because the special effects back then were pretty awesome. Yeah. Gollum was a revolution in computer animation. Do you think that the effects have evolved significantly over 10 years? I mean, I think they have, but I also watched it through some terrible looking glass. For the 48 frames per second, yeah, so I can't even really be a true judge of how it looked. It really distracted me in terms of, like, I didn't even want to look at the screen. I kept taking my glasses off to rub my eyes. It is not a very comfortable experience and not at all how you want to spend two hours and 45 minutes or two hours and 30 minutes watching a movie. I came away feeling like the effects were good, but they didn't blow me away at all. Yeah. Gollum looks great, but he looked great in the other ones. Yeah. And I personally, it, it's been a while since I saw the Lord of the Rings films, so I couldn't tell if there had been a massive improvement. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Like, I didn't go prepare for this. I didn't marathon the Lord of the Rings before seeing The Hobbit. I figured, you know, The Hobbit would just lead to the Lord of the Rings, and I have the gist of the Lord of the Rings. But I guess in the 3D sense, it would have been interesting to compare and contrast the resolution. Right. I mean, Gollum looked good to me in The Hobbit. He looked good to me in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And there were there were other parts that actually looked kind of bad to me. Which part? The giant eagles still look pretty fake looking. Yeah, they got to talk to those guys at Pixar to figure out how feathers move. Yeah, and, and, and actually Azog, the white orc, mm-hmm. kind of the, the main bad guy in this film, he's more CG than the lead Uruk-hai in fellowship of the ring and you can tell he, mm. he 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 looks more fake he's less imposing i just assume that everything basically and the hobbit was just done green screen except for like the landscaping where it was like oh here be new zealand right but like with azog i felt like most of that makeup and his white skin i felt like a lot of that was computer generated mm-hmm. as opposed to the orcs and the urukai and fellowship of the ring yeah does he have an actual actor attributed to him that'd be funny yes okay well yeah cuz he has his voice attached to it too right it would have been hilarious if it was just like important character no actor attached <laughs> No, there there is an actor there, but I guess I think it must be the makeup that's computer generated because he just looked really fake to me most of the time, as opposed to the lead Urukai in Fellowship, who was this really imposing physical figure who was always there. I mean, Ian McKellen is already old, and then he's aged ten years since. So instead of this being Gandalf the Younger, he it's like Gandalf the same. He, I mean, he looks old. <laughs> Older. There's, I don't know if they did any work with him, but like even Frodo, they softened up some of Elijah Wood's lines on the side of his face, I think, just to make him, to keep him youthful looking, because this is, this predates the events of the the Lord of the Rings. Same thing with Hugo Weaving and Kate Blanchett, like they, either they pounded on the makeup or they softened some lines digitally, but everybody's aged 10 years. And now with the 48 frames per second, you definitely will see it. Like, I was looking at Kate Blanchett's pores. I could <laughs> yeah. see them. Even Ian Holm at the beginning, 
I was kind of like, wait, is that Ian Holm? Yeah, I had to look. I had to check that. I was like, oh no, did he die? Did they have to replace him? I missed that. <laughs> I mean, he was already old when they filmed Lord of the Rings, and now he's even older. And and yeah, they could not make him look <laughs> the way he did. Mm-mm. So, yeah, the special effects were kind of a mixed bag, and there's so much CG that during a lot of the battle sequences, I just kind of felt like, oh, look at these giant CG armies or CG creatures fighting each other. It is like a video game. It is like a video game, because, like, I used to play Age of Empires a lot, so, like, anytime they pan out and you have a lot of CG characters, like, fighting a war against each other, the emotional impact just doesn't hit me, because it's like, well... I've seen this movie before, or I've seen this again, and it's a, it doesn't feel like there's anything at stake. Today, actually, I just posted a video about from the Stan Winston Studios about the how the making of Jurassic Park, how they had to make the tonnage of like all the plastic and wood and everything that had to go into making a single T Rex to just walk across the screen. And this was already, you know, what was it that 1993, 90, 95? Yeah, 93. Some of it was CG and some of it was actual puppetry big old puppetry but you felt the weight of the monster coming across the screen which felt it felt much more real so i think we're starting to lose that just in general because we're starting to rely so heavily on cgi everything now makeup's being done by cgi i give up yeah i, I want to say a little bit about the the links to the lord of the rings films that i think work mm-hmm and there's only one that really sticks in my mind as something that worked. And that is the introduction of the ring. Yeah. The ring of power that Bilbo finds. Yep. In the book, Bilbo just finds it. Yeah. He just stumbles across it in the mountains. Mm-hmm. In the movie, Gollum drops it. It sort of falls out of Gollum's pocket. And Bilbo picks it up, and I kind of liked that because one of the main threads running through the Lord of the Rings was that idea that the ring had a will. Yeah. The ring had its own intelligence, its own power, its own agency, and I like how they sort of reference that by having the ring kind of tumble out of Gollum's pocket on its own. Mm Mm-hmm. As if it wants to get to Bilbo and get out. I, I I liked that. But after that happened, the scene with Gollum was cool, but I felt like it dragged. Yeah, we go through like five different riddles in the game or something like that. And again, something that could have been shorter and more action-y or just like short and sweet and carry on, guys. Meanwhile, upstairs, they're having a grand old war with the goblins, and here it was just like Battle of the Wits or so. <laughs> right. Which is taken directly from the book, and I understand they want to be yeah, faithful. Yeah, but it, was it this long? I th- believe so. Maybe it just goes by quicker. It, it maybe. Maybe it does. And then there's there's that moment when Bilbo decides to spare Gollum's life, and I hadn't remembered this but i was i was listening let me get in another plug here i was listening to one of the other podcasts on film geek radio the thin place (laughs) their episode on the hobbit and they pointed out that actually in the lord of the rings books and and i believe in the films as well gandalf acts sort of amazed that Gollum ends up being really important he's like he's not sure how important Gollum really is, and he's not sure if Bilbo's decision to spare Gollum's life was a good one. Yeah. 
Whereas in this movie, Gandalf is the one telling Bilbo, you know, the true sign of wisdom or whatever when you have a sword is knowing when not to use it. Mm -hmm. So here he's the one planting the idea in Bilbo's mind, which sort of diminishes the impact a little bit. I think, in the thematic importance of that moment when Bilbo decides to be merciful. He's not really doing it himself. He's just listening to that Gandalf guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. It's a bit of a character change for Gandalf is what you're getting at, right? It's a character change for Gandalf that kind of contradicts the other films. And I also think that it kind of undermines Bilbo a little bit as a character. Mm. Bilbo has an arc in this movie, but it feels a little bit forced. I see you say it's forced. I I didn't hardly feel it. Like, there hasn't really been growth there yet. Or at least we haven't had the chance to complete it because it's freaking butchered up into three different parts. Right. So it it felt incomplete in terms of, like, where you have, you know, the whole dynamic character arc. I don't feel like he had full change of heart or anything yet. I mean, I'd, or at least I wasn't like as convinced. I know technically he does because he sticks around and he helps fight. But in general, like it's almost like he's stuck now. It, it's not his decision to come along and fight for real. And until like the very end where he defends uh, the Dwarf King against the White Orc. That's where it's like, this is his moment of bravery. Ah. Other than that, it's just kind of like. And now it's like, is everything going to be fine with him? Now, yeah, because that was one thing that I think the Lord of the Rings films were good about. There, there were several moments in that trilogy where Frodo really doubted his role and his purpose Mm -hmm. and what he should be doing. But it, it felt a lot more organic, and it felt like his arc of acceptance of what he had to do and the cost that it was going to have on him was a lot more natural, probably because it was more spread out. Mm-hmm. Whereas this movie just felt like very rushed. Like he didn't want to go and then he does and then he has doubts and then yay, he saved Thorin's life. So he's with the group now. Yeah. So does that mean there are, n- there's not going to be any more internal conflict in the other installments? Yeah, I don't or? buy that. <laughs> Something's going to come up. Someone's going to look, give someone the wrong look and it's going to start all over again because this is another two movies. Prediction. Go. Halfway through film two, Bilbo's gonna wish that, start wishing that he hadn't come along or feel like he's not part of the group again. And then we'll see the same arc again, where it's, oh, Bilbo, you did prove yourself. Good for you. You're part of the group again. So yeah, I just feel like structurally, it's just problematic. I mean, I walked away underwhelmed. Like that, I guess that was my biggest disappointment. It wasn't that it was like, oh, I could have done with more action scenes. I could, I just didn't even, I could have fallen asleep in the middle of it and woken up late, woken up at the very end and no, like had not missed anything. Like, I think that's what pissed me off. They didn't get to anywhere. We're still freaking walking. It's like the first part of the seventh Harry Potter movie where it's a lot of them, a lot of walking. And that, that works fine for a book. And even then, some readers found it challenging because it was just like them wandering through the wo- woods having an existential crisis. In right. the movies, it doesn't work so well because <laughs> there's only so many spiders and orcs and things that you can run into before you're like, Jesus Christ, a wild Snorlax appeared. You know, something, just anything. Can we just stop and rest for a little bit? And, and, and that's actually what a lot of 
people criticized about the Lord of the Rings was like, oh, it's just a bunch of people walking and taking, you know, nine but hours. But at least to something to, to the happens but in yeah, between. Yeah, stuff happened. Those movies have momentum. They've got really good arcs. When it's a battle, it's a battle. Like I, I can't remember if it's the second or third one that had the crazy elephant-looking creatures. Might have been the third one, uh, the Return of the King. Yeah, there's epic battles. Yeah, and those movies just move. Whereas in The Hobbit, even though there's a lot of action scenes happening, I felt like they dragged and I felt like they weren't important to the plot. Like the coolest action scene happened in the beginning of the movie when the dragon takes over. Yeah, that was probably the best action scene. Because then I was like, oh, went down and then, oh, really? And we're not even going to see the dragon again? We just see its eye open and it looks awful like Sauron's eye. Right. Nerdy nerd. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I mean, I just feel like they needed to edit it down. If you want to make it three movies, cool. But do they all have to be three hours? Tighten them up. Tighten them up. That's what the extended edition is for. Save something for that. Yes. So the rest of the people don't have to watch it. <laughs> Can you imagine what the extended editions of The Hobbit? No, because I never watched the extended editions of The Lord of the Rings. It was like, uh, I saw them already in theaters. I liked it then. And then it was like, oh, why do I want to watch this same movie for six hours? The extended editions of The Lord of the Rings are actually kind of cool. And they actually still, for the most part, have a decent pace. So do you think it's just that Peter Jackson's trying to go out for capturing lightning twice in a bottle and it's just not working? I, I think that's what he was going for. It's structurally, it, there's so much in common between this film and Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. It feels like he's going for the same thing. He's just, it, it, the material just is not appropriate. No. Should have gone for something that wasn't the prequel to his greatest hit. Or kept it two films. Or kept it two films. Or is it already one book? So then all you need to do in one movie, especially if what they do mostly is walk around and run into shit. Right. And I understand the book is very fast paced and a lot of stuff happens. So if you need to do it two movies, fine. Mm -hmm. But just cut it. Just cut it. It doesn't need to be three. Mm -hmm. Tighten it up. Make it move faster. There, there are entire scenes that I think you could cut. Agreed. And it would probably improve the film. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Is, is there anything else you would like to say about The Hobbit? An unexpected journey. God, I can't wait for the expected journey part. All right, well, that will wrap it up for part two of our discussion of The Hobbit, an unexpected journey here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing This Is 40. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com. Let us know what you thought of The Hobbit. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Are Monica and I totally wrong about this movie? Write it and let us know or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to the show through the website, or as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, you can shop through our affiliates, and that will also help us out. We really appreciate your help. That helps keep us on the air and producing new content for you. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place and Dispatches from St. Marina. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter at mcastingmovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. And they can find my reviews reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. 
I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on City. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!